What are you anticipating seeing, you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Oh, just so many good young players, mate. I don't know how you do it there. Oh, I do, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. Fiji, Samara and Tonga. They're not bad. Oh, we were waiting oh, for it. I was waiting for it. Lekka! Hello! <laughs> It's drop kickoff time once again, and welcome to all of our listeners, except to people in the Stellenbosch municipality. Um, I'm really, really sorry that our tweet offended you um, over the last week or so. Uh, it's not very often that you get attacked by the city of, by a city in South Africa, but that's the kind of the world that we're living in right now. Um, we are here. It's grand final week, the last game of international rugby set to be played. Of course, I'm talking about South Africa playing New Zealand. It's been a little while since we uh, since we last did our show. Things have been happening. Nathan's been travelling. Nick Hartman's been started a new job. I'm getting ready for a whole bunch of stuff, working and doing live broadcasts on the Raw, uh, which all gagger folk will, sh- will shudder to hear the name at. But we've got Nathan Williamson here joining me. Where are you this time, Nathan? I'm in Paris. I'm getting ready for this final. And can I say, you know, Anyone from the Stellenbosch municipality, Nick's views represent his only. We're more than happy to take shots at municipalities. We'll take it on. You want to give us, give us a viral tweet? Bring it on, mate. Give us a viral tweet. Yeah, it's gone. That For, for context of everyone listening, uh, we, we posted a, a tweet back on October 19th about how pretty much if it was a South African-New Zealand final, it actually probably would not be necessarily good for international rugby. And uh, it went nuts. The moment the Sappers woke up, uh, it's been viewed not nearly 400,000 times. Um, and uh, even to the point where they're swearing at us in Afrikaans, guys, we have Google Translate. We know what you're saying. Say it to it. Say it to it in English. We'll make the connection. We will know, and it does not offend us in the slightest. Anyway, it's uh, but such is the nature of it. Regardless, uh, the Sappers completely deserve to get to that World Cup final, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll get on to it in a second. But joining us for, as our second guest of the weekend is one, once again one of the real gagger stalwarts of the of the uh, of the new bunch it is the one the only yowie mate welcome once again from beautiful queensland hello thanks for having me um I, i've never been to a braai and uh, it sounds like i never will either after being associated with you guys <laughs> yes i know we're uh we're we're, we're... We'll, we'll just have to make some sort of other other comment and then we'll get in trouble again we're on a, we're on a list but you know one of the better lists put it this way well, the, look, the worst list some people on this fight are on, put it this way. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, let's just say Rassi won't be following us on Twitter anytime soon. Uh, not that he follows anyone at the moment, which is which I think is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, Johan might uh, throw in a few comments there. Yeah, Johan definitely will. Um, so because it has been a little bit of a while since we uh, since we've last been on, um, we thought let's talk about not just the results from the weekend, but let's also talk about finals in general. It's uh, you know, it's been. It's been a really interesting final series, and I think I'm going to come out and say, and, and obviously kick us off with yet another dropped kickoff hot take. This tournament peaked at the quarterfinals. Uh, Nathan, what do we think? What do we th- have we thought of the finals so far in 2023? I wouldn't say peaked, but in terms of a quarterfinals in any sport, I challenge you to find one better than that. We had four games, all go down to the wire. All you know, all three results were pretty much up for grabs in the last five, 10 minutes. I think the biggest margin was Argentina beating Wales and even they, you know, trailed for majority of that first half. 
Um, you then have Ireland, New Zealand, France, South Africa, two best games of the tournament so far. But I say it peaked. Um, yeah, I think people looked at New Zealand and Argentina and, and kind of overreacted. People went, oh, you know, this is what happens when you put a, a, a draw that's so lopsided. And then we just got an un- absolute sort of arm wrestle between South Africa and England. You know, a true semi-final clash where you had, you know, two teams take it right down to the wire. Whilst, you know, not for the attacking lovers out there, just a real grinding game that felt like a final. So I wouldn't say it's peaked, but I think in terms of the action we've got, you know, five out of six games have been unbelievable so far. That's true. That's true. Like I do, I think you are right when when we say that when it comes to all of these finals matches, it, really that that one big disappointment has been the All Blacks just going to town on Argentina in that semi final. Yowie, uh, I'm assuming you've been keeping a watch on this Rugby World Cup, this tournament. What have you been? What are your thoughts been? Uh, and do we are we in agreement? Do we think that the two right teams made it to the grand final? All jokes aside, from uh, from Stellenbosch Municipality. Yeah, oh, look, I don't share Nathan's enthusiasm for the, the England-South Africa game. Um, I was sort of a bit sleep-deprived at the time and just bashing my head on the desk with, with boredom. Um, but th- that aside, I mean, I, I, I agree that the, the two best games so far by a long stretch were New Zealand-Ireland and, and France-South Africa. Um, and, you know, it, it's probably beating an old drum to, to say look, it's the draw that was picked years ago that, that's kind of sent us to that point um but yeah absolute crackers in terms of quarters um not so much with the semis uh and, and we'll see i mean the, the finals will be really interesting in terms of different styles um clashing and then hopefully the the more exciting style wins would we call this the best quarterfinals at least the best quarterfinals of any world cup would we call it that Oh, I really enjoyed New Zealand getting kicked out in uh, 2007. So um, <laughs> it would have been better if they were kicked out. You mean? <laughs> oh, it, that, that was the the biggest emotional swing I've ever had. Like Australia got kicked out that evening, and I was really in the dumps. And the next morning, New Zealand gets kicked out, and, and I was over the moon. So um, yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if, if this year can top that, but uh, it's been pretty good. It has been pretty good, and I will add, Nathan. I'll add to, on that point. We were we were predicting a northern, a northern uh, domination of finals, and I mean, again, I've been saying it all year that I, that if that I was hoping for an Ireland France final, and here we are with the southern hemisphere dominating again. Why do you think this is the case? Why do you think it's the case that um that we that we had a case where it was three out of four teams playing in the uh, from southern hemisphere rugby making it to the semi-finals, even though, let's be honest, in the, over the last couple of years, three of the five best sides in the world have all been teams from the north. Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I think Southern Hemisphere style just fits a lot better to knockout rugby. I think the north of the, you know, Northern Hemisphere is kind of built around that sort of the grinding possession game and trying to, you know, sort of outlast your opponent, whilst I think just the attacking style that, you know, your New Zealand's and South Africans have possessed, you know, the Wallabies back in the day in, of, you know, 99, 2003, got to the final as well. I think it's just kind of translates a lot better to those crunch moments. And I don't know, I think there's also a sort of argument to make that the North peaks far too earlier than sort of their Southern counterparts. Like, it feels like a bigger thing to win a Six Nations in a World Cup year. You know, you look at Ireland always, even France, they just seem to get form early and then 
just hope that the momentum rides. Whilst you look, the Kiwis weren't playing their best form before these, these sort of test matches. South Africans were mixed, but ultimately came good. You know, you've got two teams now in the final who have lost games. You know, 2019, a South African team that lost its first game and all, all of a sudden won the final. Whilst you look at, yeah, the Ireland, France of the Worlds, you know, went through really tough games, but were so adamant to try and get that sort of unbeaten streak and, you know, leave it all on the ground. So I think it's just it's been just lessons in how to peak at the right stage of the tournament and just getting them sort of getting your lineups in line at the right times. I mean, you look at a South African team, which were unchanged through the quarters and semis. Like, that's just the perfect example of teams finding that continuity, bang at the right time of the certain tournament. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Also, maybe just the fact that I, I, we had kind of debated this a little bit and that we talked about how maybe the fact that the Northern Hemisphere have really pushed that structured game quite a bit uh, maybe actually potentially plays into Southern Hemisphere hands a little bit more when it comes to critical finals footy because you're at that you're at that stage particularly during a knockout period where the team that's probably most likely to go and try for a risk or a risky play is potentially more likely to to, to win out. I think that's the only one of the factors that also has a plays a lot in it is because they're they're probably used to making those those championship plays or those faster kind of attacking rugby broken play moments. That's just kind of embedded in a lot of at least Australian and New Zealand rugby, especially uh, that and Fijian rugby, just that ability to play a, a very fast, quick, free flowing game. Um, and teams like uh, the Northern Hemisphere sides, uh, maybe they panic during that that period of time. Who knows? But either way, the, the semi-finals that we got are the finals that we got. Um, and, we'll go, and we're now going to talk about uh, the two matches that just played out on the weekend, just gone. Of course, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm talking about the Argentinian team going down 44-6 to six, uh, to the All Blacks at Stade de France. Um, and then the following game, the uh, the match between England and South Africa, which saw a 16-15 to 15 win to the box. So let's start with the first match of the weekend. Um, Yowie, I know you mentioned that you thought that the, the second one was a snooze fest, so I'm going to make you a day, start you start your off nice and easy with the first game. What, what were our thoughts? What were our standouts? Um, and why on earth were Argentina so bad? Or were they bad? Am I just being, or was it just that New Zealand were that good? Better question. I mean, obviously New Zealand's pretty good, to put it mildly. I mean, it's, it's sort of like a who's the best James Bond sort of knockout contest like you know whoever's against Sean Connery is, is probably going home um you know uh, Sean Connery being New Zealand here um I mean my impressions from the game were um you know Argentina seemed to not get the rub of the green like they had just a whole run of penalties against them I mean I, I don't have good enough binoculars to see exactly each one on its merits but if I'm sitting in the stadium it's sort of like gosh the, the ref's arms only going up one way having said that I'm, I'm sure it was completely valid on the ground but then, you know, New Zealand just sort of grinds away, gets those sort of breakout tries, and it's, it's sort of all over from there. You, you tend not to be able to reel them back in. Yeah, it is. It, it did kind of feel like that. It did. It like I wouldn't necessarily say that that like the that Angus Gardner was was ruthless in terms of to, to Argentina in terms of the whistle, but it really felt like at least with Argentina, uh, the moment that. Like they were, they were getting go forward and they were advancing, but the the moment that New Zealand targeted the breakdown, everything else co- kind of collapsed for the Pumas. It was like they would lose ball regularly, they wouldn't get any momentum going forward, 
And then that would lead to, uh, similar to the the England game that started off the Los Pumas campaign, they would just, their discipline went, went all over the place. They would fall apart. And then the penalties just started coming New Zealand's way. And, and from that point on, was it just kind of felt like a foregone conclusion? Nathan, you probably, you may disagree with this one, but... Some people were talking about, you know, that they thought that Argentina might be able, might be worth a shot here, but it feels like they didn't fire a shot at all in this match. I think what you touched on there was spot on. I think it's very hard to fire a shot when you've got sort of you've got such weapons around the breakdown that can just, you know, disrupt ball and really sort of control the flow and narrative of the game. You know, I think Argentina looked strong that first ten sort of ten minutes, but when you know. And I think Jordy, I think it was Jordy Barrett got over the ball, and then two minutes later they find Will Jordan in the corner. He then goes over five minutes later. Again, all of a sudden Argentina is down 14-3, and I think that's just when their heads dropped. They just sort of couldn't couldn't match the chaos physicality. You had guys like you know Sam Kane and Nadi Savia just running havoc. Um, I just think this was a case of just a you know an All Blacks. All, we've we've seen this for years with the All Blacks just grind out an opponent, and then when they slightly switch off before and after halftime, that's when they go for the kill. And, you know, this is what happened. You know, Frizzell's try before the halftime, before halftime, Aaron Smith's really soft try after the break. You could just, like, there was a fair Argentinian um, contingency at the start of France. And when those two tries happened, you just felt the air just deflate out of the place. It just, it killed off any chances of, you know, a comeback or, you know, getting themselves back in the contest when, you know, before that, before that Frizzell try, it's 13-6, still there, but. I think yeah, that it was, was, it was. I think that was the difference. It's just the, the Kiwis have made a living off just killing teams before and after halftime. And we got another example of that um, on Friday. So, I mean, it was a great performance by the Kiwis. Let's not, let's not get away from that. But I mean, especially we've got to shout out Will Jordan, who's now equal, I believe with, uh, equal all-time try scorers with Jonah Lomu and Brian Habana uh, for most number of tries scored at a World Cup, which is just what a steamed company to be in. My God. <laughs> and, and he can thank Richie Moanga for not throwing him that pass to, to make him um, move ahead of that crew. Yeah, I know. That, that was be... that was going to be my what the WTF moment of the week. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Come on, mate. All you, all you had to do was just give one pass. Nah, like, Richie. Richie knew. Richie knew he wants to be on the right side of history. You can't. Best to be equal with the greats. You can't go ahead. <laughs> that's what. That's what I think. Throw the one pass. That's all you had to throw, mate. Come on. <laughs> it was. A, it was a funny moment, gentlemen. And I'll, I'll throw. I'll throw this one. This question to you, Nathan. But we'll we'll open this up for debate with this performance because it did feel like just. It felt like the All Blacks of old. It really did. It really felt like the All Blacks of old. Like there was. It felt like. Just patient deconstruction, at fault, which led to demolition and then pulling away. Are the All Blacks favourites for the grand final? Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, such a coin flip game. I mean, it should be dollar ninety each, but uh, if I had to pick one side, yeah, probably New Zealand. I just think they've they've built. They're on such a roll at the moment. When you, when you sort of discard that French game. When you look back at those three thumpings they delivered to the rest of their pool mates, the game against Ireland, and when you can sort of compare it to the game we'll get onto after this, they look the better side. They, you know, 
they look, you know, it's rare in a semi-final you get to as the 60th minute and you can take off, you know, guys like Kane, guys like Rico Iwani, Bowden Barrett, um, you know, even like like a Sam Whitelock as well. And really, all of a sudden, those guys are coming off probably well-rested and refreshed against a, a team which had to sort of dig in till the end in, that, in the second semi-final. So it, it'd be just, but I think, yeah, the All Blacks have every right to go in as favourites. It is it is nuts to me that pretty much two months ago the Springboks handed the All Blacks their heaviest ever defeat in history of in the history of the of that jersey and here they are what a turnaround for the books my God <laughs> it's, it's it does like to, considering where like and also. What a moment if Ian Foster, if Fozzie was to go out as a World Cup winner, like in eight days, he's not going to have a job anymore, like regardless of the result, which is bewildering to me if he wins a World Cup. What an ultimate screw you to New Zealand rugby if he somehow after what's as all black as all black eras go, a pretty poor era, if he was to go out as as a World Cup winner. Nuts. Just just, just two points on that. I mean. You, everyone sort of talks about Fozzie, but um, Nineveh, Jacques Nineveh is off to, I think, Leinster or, or Leicester, one of the clubs in Ireland. Or Leinster, yes, he sorry. is. So, he is. So both coaches are going to get their team to a World Cup final and leave. Like, that's remarkable. It's an incredible sort of – it must be the first time in world sport where you have two coaches of a World Cup both out, uh, both out, essentially out of the position the next week. And, but just on that point there, we, you talk about it being the worst New Zealand, you know, one of the worst New Zealand, um, like, runs like runs to them. He's at 70%. I know. Like, that's what makes it nuts. <laughs> that's bad for you them. Know the, you know the last, the last coach, again, the last coach that operated at that level for the, for the Wallabies was Rod McQueen. I know, at 79%. <laughs> but, like, I, I think just it speaks to the disrespect he's copped. Like, in terms of All Blacks coaches that have coached longer than 30, like, 30 tests, he sits third. Like, he's lost he lost 11 games. He's lost 11 games in 45 tests. That's incredible record. But people people talk, talk shit in his name because, oh, he lost to Argentina. He lost to Ireland, who are world number ones. Yeah, he lost some meaningless tests. And it's a grand scan of it. He's now in a World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, real real shit effort that is. Like, <laughs> ultimately, he he's he's copped criticism because the rest of the world is catching up to you know New Zealand and everyone else. So if you have a slightly off game, you, you know you're gonna get done. But hey, everyone all everyone remembers his World Cups and he's in a final. So mm. you gotta put respect back on his name. Yeah, it, it it's it is an absolute it, it's an amazing turnaround for the books, an honestly amazing turnaround for the books, um and. Just yeah, it doesn't it never cease? It's, it honestly has amazed me. It honestly has amazed me that uh, that we are now in in the t- considering where the All Blacks were, you know, even a couple, even like twelve months ago, um, before you know Schmidt came in, just the way that people were looking at them and the way that they were seeing them exposed, and now here they are. They look they look fantastic. It's a weird place. It's it's been such a weird journey, a weird couple of years, um, and here we are at the last game. Let's move on to this second semi-final. Um, England versus South Africa. I mean, God, there's a lot to take out of this game. I mean, in terms of t- tactical 
plays and processes. I mean, it was a it was a ten out of ten chess match in terms of sheer tactics. But as a spectacle to watch, yeah, we. I have to admit, I'm lying in the camp with you. I was bored as batshit. It took forever this game. Oh mate, here's a rugby fact: none of the players had beards when the game started. <laughs> Literally, Joe Marler's hair wasn't wasn't white when the game started. He went, he's like, gone grey over the. He's gone grey because that game took fucking forever. It was, but yeah, just what was this game like? What was this match? I don't know. I mean, I, I was amused in the final minutes when England starts running the ball like through the phases, and it's like, oh, you can do it when when you've got no other choice. You know, it's like you know, eliminate all other options, and they'll they'll start passing and running the ball and you know recycling it. Till then, though, you know. It was one of those games where you just, I mean, it, I mean, it, it was it was kind of that, but it was also just classic wet weather rugby, and which did I think play into England's hands quite a bit because I mean that was pretty much a summer's day for if you're if you're an English if you if you're someone who lives in England, it's uh, the classic it's the classic view. Nathan, do we think that that this the that this game are we being too harsh on this game? Did did you was it at the actual ground? I'm assuming you were there. Was it a was it a tense environment or was it as boring to watch for you as it was for us so i had the opposite sort of reaction i you know i kind of i was walking to the ground and didn't really feel the atmosphere but as soon as england started to build a lead you could feel the south africans in the crowd get a bit nervous and it created a great atmosphere with 15 minutes to go but i like i think this is just the joy well honestly this is the joy of rugby is england weren't going to beat him in any other aspect of the game, other than turning it into a real shit fest, a real grind, a real kicking battle. And it just shows off the, like the different elements we have in this game. And you look at a team which was so, uh, you know, you had English journalists coming in saying, this is a free shot for England. Like that, this is the first time you ever hear an Eng- like all the English guys saying, all right, we don't expect anything from this side. We don't expect, you know, we don't expect them to go deep. We're expecting them to get thumped. All right, come on, just well, let's just accept it. And this team came out and fought their asses off. They really sort of took it to South Africa. And all of a sudden, like, they played a star rugby, which was, yes, boring. Yes, putting people asleep. And that's kind of summed up England in this tournament. But it for 75 minutes, it was winning against a team which is, you know, one of the best at World Cups in these sort of situations. You know, mm. beating them at their own game. It was a real sort of – it turned into a contest, as weird as it sounds. You know, we're coming off – Coming off a game, it was 44-6. Everyone th- sort of thought the same, but I- I've got to give England credit. This is the only – again, I think I saw like similar critics after – I think it was the Reds quarterfinal against the Chiefs mm. where they just kicked the shit out of the ball and like, ended up winning the game down at um, – I think it was Palms and North, something like that. And people, you know, people outside rugby circles complained that, oh, how, why would you watch that game? But they won, so they made it awesome. And that's the same thing, like looking at it from a neutral perspective. If they don't play that style of game, you don't have the incredible, foot, you know, 45-minute drop goal from Owen Farrell, you know, answered by the Pollard clutch kick from 50 out. Like, it was – it just it just set up the incredible finish. And, I, like, yes, it was a boring style of rugby, but you don't – that 70 minutes where it was all boring doesn't set up in, just an unbelievable last 10, 15 minutes. I will say it, it did definitely show me how you beat South Africa. 
Um, and because sometimes South Africa has felt as difficult to beat as as the All Blacks have in in the past, particularly this South Africa under Yarks and 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 Rassi. But it just I, I just I liked it. I kind of I do I do admit that I did like as much as it was boring as batshit to watch. Again, the other point of me is like from a tactical standpoint, ten out of ten. You could see exactly what they were doing. It was similar to the Argentina match. It was just clear, cold tactics. Um, old school rugby chess match style. Um, and I'm not surprised to hear that at the ground it was much more exciting to watch than it was at home uh, for the <laughs> for for the fan at home. Because, yeah, because it, it just felt like England just knew, just figured out, well, this look, we were able to choke Argentina and see them implode dramatically. Let's see if we can do the same to the box. And it very nearly paid off. Yowie, here's a question for you. Did this match signal the arrival? And I emphasize the arrival because he's only been in the job for, you know, he's only been in the job for since December last year. Is this what Steve Borth, uh, Steve Borick's England is going to look like from now on? And are they a legitimate contender for the next couple of years? Is this the template to watch? Uh, template to watch is an interesting choice of words. Um, it, it, I mean, you know, by all means, you know, they've found success and, and at the risk of sort of getting ahead in the agenda. Um, it's interesting to me the uh, picking a style that the players you've got can do successfully versus what might arguably be sort of the Eddie Jones approach, which is like fill up a whiteboard with complex plays that that only, you know, the players can only sustain for 13 minutes at most. I think someone put up an analysis of um, and, you know, ultimately sort of fall away or not be able to react real time. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of World War II history, among other things, and, and you know, it's been said that the, the Allies turning it around and sort of pushing back and not having any more defeats, that coincided with, you know, picking or you know, coming up with achievable plans that their troops could succeed with, and which improves morale. You're getting the results. You're not coming out with this whiteboard filling exotic kind of heist movie type stuff, which inevitably fails. So, um, you know, hopefully one of the lessons that in Australia we can learn um, is, you know, pick a plan that your troops can execute um, and, and hopefully we see some of that. It's a good analogy. I feel like we should put you into, we should give you Eddie Jones's phone number and see if, see if he would listen to your, to he, you talking World War II history and see if, it, oh, if, mate, if this is the way Frank. He'd use old Jedi mind trick and I'd be uppercutting myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, we'll get to Eddie in a bit, but before we do, uh, Nathan alluded to it earlier, but uh, we've been kind of capping off all of these World Cup podcasts with our single biggest what the fuck moment. Um, and uh, I feel like there are plenty of what the fuck moments from the last fortnight to, for us to de- to dive into. Nathan, you, you alluded to yours with Richie Mwanga, but I feel like you're going to have another one up your sleeve. But yeah, we I'll throw to you first. What's your what's what has been your big what the fuck moment? Oh, we've already banged on about the slow pace of England South Africa, so I'll, I'll change mine to um, the end of uh, All Blacks Pumas. Um, Five minutes to go, the Scott Barrett yellow card ends, and New Zealand says, no, we'll be right with 14 players. <laughs> I know. What the hell was that? Since, oh. when you, since when could you do that and talk about, like, a flex? That's a oh. flex and a half. Mate, they, they carry their balls in a wheelbarrow. Um, it's. <laughs> I mean, it, it occurred to Not me... Not only though, flex, but they nearly scored as well. I know! <laughs> yeah, it, it occurred to me, my, my natural sort of... Uh, 
New Zealand or anti-New Zealand bias. I, I thought, well, if, if they didn't do it, I would have been whinging, saying, oh, why don't you leave your player off and give them a chance? And if they do do it, which they did, I thought, like, oh, there they are showing off, you know. I, I suspect they just wanted a bit more practice with, you know, a player down. Um, but, you know, it, it was very interesting at that point. It certainly was. Like, such a strange decision by New Zealand to leave the team off. I'm assuming it was for to just to give Scott Barrett an early mark, but just bizarre. I didn't even know you could do that. In uh, like, uh, someone get the rule book out for me. I had no idea that you could actually just go. You know what? Let's keep it. Let's keep it to 14 players, and just because we can, just because we can, uh, to finish off the game in style. Uh, just unbelievable to me. Um, Nathan, is Richie Mwanga your main? Is Richie Mwanga the one sticking with you right now? I've mentioned a couple during this pod. The Mwanga one is one. The fact that we're going to have two coaches both out of their – not out of their jobs because Nyak has already got a job, but both leaving positions. So I'll go with the third one. And it was, again, something I noticed banging up the ground. It was the amount of abuse the rest copped. I want to, like – I want to make this clear. Like, you can – I'm not the person – I'm not a person who says you can't boo people and all this sort of stuff, but there is a line you can cross when you do all this stuff. And when, you know, all four officials are running up, running onto their warm-ups, getting booed, and then doing their kind of – doing their warm-up drills from halfway to sort of the end goal, the end goal, and any official that got down to the end goal were getting booed by the fans and run back, run up, boo, run back. They get presented on the screen, they get booed. Every time a case on the screen, they get booed. Every time it's a penalty, it gets booed. It's like, all right, guys, this is enough. Like – I, it's probably some French guys still well, French fans still salty from the decisions from the quarterfinal game, or you know, I don't. But it doesn't warrant a constant stream of abuse. Like Eddie Jones copped it every single time from the fans as well. From the fans as well, when he was on a big screen, that was kind of it, like you can understand him being the ex England coach and being Eddie, but still a bit too far. This somehow went another level on that. And for me, that's the what the fuck moment. That's a, that's a big what the fuck moment because, guys, if this is the example we're going to set in terms of on one of the biggest stages we have and we're going to boo the shit out of our officials, we look like absolute pigs. And there's got to be a line cross where you go, hang on a minute, this is enough. And for me, that was it. That, that, that was sort of enough for me to sit, sort of sit back and go, nah, this is, this is too far, guys. Like, pull your heads in. It's it's funny that this this was kind of my what the fuck a little bit at the moment, which is basically the entire the, the entire situation that's been happening around Ben O'Keefe for the last like fortnight, um, because I think the whole all of this started from a uh, a news uh, article that came out that basically said that there was a reviewal into Ben O'Keefe's performance and that he got five key things wrong during the France game, um, and. But, you know, it was – and that was and, – and all the French fans were up in arms about it. But it's interesting to note that two of those things went against South Africa in those key dis- errors that he made during the game. So it's not exactly like, oh, yeah, he was deliberately favouring one team over the other. He just made genuine mistakes in the game. And, I mean, they do go – they didn't go into, into a huge amount of technical detail as to what those specific mistakes were. But, I mean, just the fact that even then it wasn't necessarily, like, totally split completely to one side over another really suggests to me that that it wasn't actually done with malicious intent. Malicious intent. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't abuse a ref like that. You really shouldn't. 
it's not it's not healthy and it's not good. And I mean, just let the bloke do his job. And I also want to add that I actually thought that Ben O'Keefe did a great job of that England Saffa game. Um, I thought I thought he did a really really good job and and, and managed himself very well under pressure. He explained things really really well. I feel like we barely went up to the TMO the whole time during that game, which was just oh that was so relieving because it just meant that the that it was just the ref and the players on the field and it wasn't down to examining things excessively from one from every conceivable bloody angle. And lo and behold, it was it did lead to uh, you know. Uh, while slightly more boring to watch at home, a more compelling contest. So, yeah, uh, just echoing a lot of your points there. And also, let's just add to the fact, uh, my other what the fuck I'll add here, what the fuck has Rassi been up to this last fortnight? He's so weird. What the fuck has he been up to? It's just so... Like, oh, my God. I mean, I I appreciate that he's into shenanigans and just general shithousery, but just... Like the fact that for a while he wasn't following anyone, and then he followed one person, and that was England rugby. Then he unfollowed them during the game. Then they, and I was like, why are you even on Twitter during the game? Like, fuck me, it's just ridiculous. And then all of the other stuff it's that was going on, he was blocking journalists and, and and making some pretty inappropriate comments left, right, and centre. Just bizarre. And it echoes. I think Yao, you and I were talking about this ahead of the ahead of this, but it was just. Reminded us of that of that weird as hell Rassi video back God God knows how many years ago it was um, during the Lions tour where he picked apart the ref and made all of those points there and it was just like such a weird moment weird bloke yeah I mean I, I think there's some method to the you know behaviour um, oh no doubt no doubt just to sort of tee off on that a bit I mean in any sort of game with with a rule book you're gonna get people that sort of treat it like a you know a racing engineer in motorsport like you know sort of okay if it doesn't say we can't do it we probably can and we'll try that on until it gets banned next season um i mean with rugby i mean by all means you know try innovative things on the field you know take advantage of obscure things that most people don't do but it is a an option but you know to put political pressure on referees um you know to use your uh your physio as, as someone giving you know frantic arm signals, you know, on the sidelines so much that she'd need her own physio to, to help her recover after it. Um, you know, just all of these things where, you know, inevitably either the game's just going to get worse because, you know, that it's just it's the way everyone sees that's where you find success. You've got to sort of play the politics and the extra communication kind of side of it or a bunch of rules come in to try and shut that down and, you know, everything just gets more miserable, like, you know, water breaks become a tightly controlled thing or... You know, just to kind of stamp out the people that, um, you know, just sort of take advantage outside the spirit, if, if I can put it that way. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. It is really, really weird. But anyway, look, it's like what it is is, and now we can all we can look forward do now is look forward, and we have two la, la, two more games to bring uh, this tournament to a close for the year, bring the rugby season to a close for the year. Let's quickly touch on the game that, let's be honest, not, not, pretty much most people don't really care about um, as much as there is bragging rights in in winning the bronze medal, uh, particularly for, for Argentina, who are looking to repeat their best ever finish at a World Cup. Uh, Nathan, what do we think about uh, about the bronze placed playoff as the, you know, ahead of the, uh, before the grand final? Let's, let's touch on this quickly. Do we think... It's going to be just a repeat of the, of the very first clash these two sides had in at the, way back two months ago, or do we actually think that there's 
going to be a very different game that plays out? And who do you think is going to win it? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think Argentina have gotten a lot better since that um, opening game. I mean, I think bronze medal games are so weird when it comes to this sort of stuff. It's kind of a a case of which team hasn't hasn't taken it harder, the sort of loss. Argentina have more to play for with with Michael Checker confirming he's probably going to step down as Argentina coach at the end of this tournament. And they've still got that sort of bit of checker magic running through them. So I think they'll have a bit more to play for than an England side who will be probably licking their wounds, coming off an extra, like, one day less rest as well. I, you know, probably still thinking about if they only sort of closed out that game for now five, ten minutes, they would be in the final. So I think I think that'll play on their mind very sort of in a subconscious manner. So I'll, I'll go with the reverse. I'll, I'll say Argentina get it done. Ooh, interesting, because I was thinking that we might see a similar performance from England. They'll try and say, okay, we'll play the same sort of style of rugby, check, see how you go, because it's basically squeezing Checkers' running ball style. But interesting decision. Uh, Yowie, do we think we'll – what do you think? What do you think about this match? Yeah, I mean, I I tend to confuse what I want to happen with the predictions, but um, I'd like to see Argentina win, and and I hope that, you know, when when people are sort of playing with with nothing to lose, um, Argentina's probably got a bit more going on in terms of throwing the ball around or, you know, uh, giving it a go. Um, And if they haven't mentally sort of checked out or or they've checked out less than England has, um, you know, and, you know, maybe Checker can can get them wound up, you know, one more time um, because certainly, you know, geeing up players is one of the clubs in his bag. Um, yeah, I, I think Argentina could do it, maybe by three points, but um, it, it'll be good to see. I also think there's a, there is a bit of a statement of intent for here for, for the Pumas as well, because uh, you, you are correct, Nathan. I just quickly did some digging, and Checker is, in fact, he will definitely be leaving. Um, uh, it's been confirmed that his assistant coach, a certain Felipe Contiponi, will be taking over um, as the as the Argentinian coach post World Cup, which I think is a very good uh, a very good uh, a pick for for Los Pumas, and definitely I hope it means that 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 with all the growth of the of the of that team of the Argentinian team, um, we hopefully will we'll see that you know having having a, an actual one of their great legendary players coaching them as well will lead to to a bit more success um, coming down the line, but. Needless to say, let's move on to this grand final, the last match of the year. All Blacks versus the Springboks playing out for the second time ever at a World Cup final. Of course, well, the, the first one being the, the famous 95 match where the Springboks um, emerged victorious. Where the hell is this? Yowie, we'll throw to you first with this one. Where do you reckon the game will be won and lost? Uh, where do you think, what, is, what do you think is going to play out when the teams face off this weekend? Yeah, I think, I mean, Wayne Barnes, who's, who's been excellent consistently for a long time, um, if he can keep the pace fast, he doesn't tolerate sort of bullshit. And in, in, by bullshit, I, I mean, you know, sort of all the water people coming on all the time, the you know, maybe head injury assessments and, you know, all the begging for penalties and, you know, cynical throwing balls into players on, you know, like opposition players just to try and get the three points. If he kind of snuffs that out... Um, in my opinion, New Zealand will have the pace and skill uh, to beat a, a tiring South African collection of big units. Um, and, and also, I mean, New Zealand historically can always adapt very well on the fly. You know, they, they live off opportunities from broken play. Um, and sh- surely that's an advantage compared to a team that's sort of relying on external instructions, whether it's from coloured lights or, or arm-flapping physios or, you know, whatever else is going on. 
with that sort of interference and you know instructions kind of built in. So I, I think New Zealand will probably win by 12. Well, that's a, a big pick. I'm I'm surprised that we're we're going for a double figure result. Nathan, do we are we in agreement? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be. I reckon it's going to be tighter than 12 points. Um, I think yeah, this is all going to come down to that set pace battle. You know, we saw how good South Africa were, particularly their sort of bomb squad. Bomb squad bring on Ox at the end there, have just turned the game. And you know, second sort of week in a row, they've gone for a scrum off a um, short arm, which is a short arm sort of mark inside the 22, which is bonkers. But it reflects their style and their strengths. So I think ultimately that's where the game's going to be won or lost. It's going to be that real dark arts of the of the scrumming, scrumming mall and who can get sort of a sedency there. So I think New Zealand have more have more informed weapons in their back line with your, your likes of your Jordans and um, Barrett squared. But it's going to be how they deal with South Africans up front that's going to be the real difference maker. And I think they've just got enough to get it done. I'll, I'll say All Blacks by four. Interesting. So I can see you both are going New Zealand. Interesting, interesting decision. But uh, in a news that will that will make all of the furious South Africans, exo- uh, you know, I do think there's some. I reckon the box have got something planned. The challenge that they face isn't necessarily that they uh, don't have the weapons and the firepower to beat the All Blacks, because I mean, two months ago they put a record win on them, so they they definitely do. The challenge that I think they have is the fact that they've come off such a bruising encounter with the English on top of them coming off yet another bruising encounter with France. Um, and it was interesting to me watching that, you know, South African, the, to, to watching that semi-final and seeing the likes of Etzebeth coming off at 45 minutes. Um, even though the bomb squad did an amazing job and really upped the physical pace, I think the box side is carrying some wounds and they've got less of a turnaround than the they've got less of a turnaround than the All Blacks do. Um, but if they can manage themselves well, which I think they can, they've got it in them to beat this this All Black side. And I reckon it's going to be South Africa by three. That's what I think. I reckon the South Africans will beat the All Blacks to a fourth World Cup title, and uh, we will see the Rainbow Nation hosting hoisting Bill aloft come the end uh, of this World Cup. That's my two cents worth. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to pick. You'll have to cue the, the Lion King music uh, after that bit in the final edit. <laughs> yeah, have to do like a... Have you, to, you absolute suck up. <laughs> cop, you cop one, cop one week of abuse from South Africans on Twitter and all of a sudden you're, you're on their bandwagon. You're oh, no. I'm not... <laughs> It's 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 amazing what what thousands and thousands of messages of abuse do to you. It's a it's a <laughs> <laughs> nah fuck ya fuck you fuck the lot of ya. No I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but no, it's a it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a, such an interesting final to watch. And even though I am disappointed that it's not, we are not going to see the likes of France or Ireland playing for a um, you know for a debut potential stint at a, at, a, at a World Cup. Um, get better, guys. Get on their level. <laughs> like the the two teams that got there have done extremely well to get there, and uh, they they're looking absolutely fantastic. Um, so God, what a World Cup it has been! What a World Cup it has been. So 
We'll move on to our final question, probably likely of the year as well. Uh, this is likely going to be our final podcast for the year. Um, I can't speak. I mean, I know that, uh, Nathan, you're taking some well-earned time off after this uh, after this tournament and having a bit, of a, a bit of time to rest once you get back to Australia. I believe you mentioned pre-pod, pre-podcast you're literally flying out the following day. Is that right, from France? Like, literally straight after the World Cup? That's correct. I think about... Six hours after the World Cup finals, all sort of wrapped up. I'm going to be back on home soil, and you know it's been an incredible two-month experience. But it's it's time to put the feet up, you know, sit back and relax, and kind of decompress before you know sevens kick up, kicks up again, and we're back into the cycle again. Yeah, it's it's been one of it's been such an exhausting year. I will also be disappearing. I'm going off to Fiji for a few weeks um, from next week. Uh, to have a to have a well earned a well earned break, so we likely won't provide you with a post World Cup podcast like we have in previous um, post Grand Final podcast like we have in previous years. But we figured this was a good opportunity to to ask a final question. Um, at the start of the year when Eddie Jones was announced, um, Nathan and I did a World Cup emergency did a emergency broadcast talking about. Uh, if it's going to be that kind of year. And that kind of year it was. It was crazy. It was topsy-turvy. It was all over the place. It, there was barely any highs. It was all – it was a draining year. But I figured let's try and finish off by asking because I feel like the question of where we are as, as rugby fans is just such a loaded question right now, especially if you are an Australian rugby fan. Yowie, I'll ask you first because I mean you you're on the you're kind of been obviously watching and, and taking part in the Gaga space for a while. How do you feel as an Aussie rugby fan at the end of 2023? How do we feel as fans after let's be honest a pretty shit year? Yeah, um, I mean I think rugby globally will be fine. Um, I mean Australia has obviously got some some crow to eat um, for a while. Um, I mean. And I mean, my view of, of what will lead us out of it is um, a different approach. So you know, smart, empowered on-field leaders, um, you know, players with a good basic skills, but that sort of copyright Robbie Dean's play what's in front of you sort of approach, perhaps with a few rehearsed moves in the, in the back pocket. Um, I, I'm a bit worried that I mean, not just Eddie Jones, but you know, some of his successes. Oh, sorry, not the predecessors. Um, there's a bit of let's. Let's not select independent thinkers who will challenge, uh, and let's let's you know have very complicated plans or you know inflexible plans or, or whatever. Um, and it just sort of hasn't worked for us. Um, whereas you know like some of the real sort of wizard players through Australian rugby success history, you know, have been able to sort of adapt very quickly on the fly. You know, uh, take advantage of, of opportunities, that sort of thing. So I think you know in, in terms of a, a coaching and playing culture, we've got some way to go to to get to where we need to be. And that's a tough, tough pill to swallow as a lesson in all honesty, because it's, because it could get worse. It could, it could be, it could be, we could have a, have a Wales series next year. And I don't think Wales have ever beaten Australia in Australia, or they haven't for a long time at the very least. And we could be staring down the barrel of that because the Welsh side are looking, have looked, have come out of this world cup looking pretty good um, and looking a lot more promising it's such a difficult space to it's hard to get excited in all honesty for next year if this is what has been served up presently and it's been and also i mean we shouldn't 
I shouldn't ignore the fact that Eddie's now back in the country and and in terms of Eddie Watch, when we were talking about it last uh, when we were talking about it last podcast, we had no idea where he was and now he's back in the in the country. So for all we know, he's, he still says he's committed. Um, he still says that, that he'll be sticking around. But who knows? It's hard to get excited at the moment because we, we've taken some hits. I'll say, Nathan, I mean, you've you've been here. You you've, you and I have kind of uh, have been through a very long year when it comes to this podcast. Well, all of us have, in all honesty. But um, it, it feels honestly like three or four years ago that we we were talking. We were we were sitting here talking about the Eddie Jones announcement announcement and wondering what the hell just landed on Australian shores. What hap- What is this e-bomb going to be? How do we deal with the fallout of 2023? And what can what can be said, if anything? to Aussie fans now for 2024. Where do we feel? Where do we sit? You say it felt like three years since the sort of first E-bomb dropped. feels like three years since I got told to go up a cut myself at the airport. Far out. It's been a, been a long World Cup as well. But in terms of what to expect for 2024, um, yeah, it's got to be up because as as I, this has to be rock bottom. We can't go any further. Um and the reality is we're going to be potentially playing a rugby championship against the gold, silver and bronze medalists from a World Cup. So it doesn't get easier. But I think what we need to say is you look at sort of our initial pods from the opening opening parts of 23, and I think we're still looking for a fly half, a hooker and a fullback. We have, I feel like we have, you know, slightly more, more idea of where they might come from, but nothing solidified at the moment. I think what we've got to say in 24 is this has got to be, if we're hell-bent on this being, you know, a four- or five-year project, we need to start seeing those guys like your Tom Hoopers of the world, you know, Mick Wrights, these these guys getting consistent game time, consistent test time, and consistent winning test time. That's the important thing. Because the fact we're now sitting here with, I think it's something like a two from 11 wing, or two from 11 record when we, you know, 12 months ago, we're sitting here after Wales thinking, do we even call, I think it was 40, 45 or 50% a pass rate? Like, it's not good enough. We, if we, we're dead, dead set on competing with the Lions in 25, who will largely be Irish with a, you know, a smidgering of English probably in that pack and, you know, the old Welshman on the wing. Um, also, yeah, maybe one or two Scots as well, but... Um, <laughs> Completely forgot about the Scots there for a while. Um, <laughs> savage. Are, it's savage, but fair. They, they also went out in the group stages, so they are, they are just like us. Um, what I think is going to happen is we've got to start building momentum. Just just win. Just fucking win. That's as desperate as that sounds. Like, we're at the stage we have to build some hope back. You know, we have an all-black side that's going to be losing a a shitload of talent to Japan. And if they don't change their rules, this, as weird as it sounds, this could be a time for the killing with a new coach coming in and, you know, no Mwanga, no Ryan Smith, no, you know, plus half a dozen other guys. We have to build something. And that's, that's what we need for 24. It's just win. And if Eddie wants to, Eddie's sticking around. Perfect. Turn it around. Make us all believers again. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that's it. I don't, uh, to be honest, Going back to to this this get this match that we this 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 snooze fest that I mean Yowie and I had to sit through that was South Africa and uh, and England. 
I will take 18 of those if it means that we win them. <laughs> I will watch the most boring rugby game on the planet. I'll, I will take a 6-3 win at this point. Uh, we need wins. That's it now. That's it. We just need some goddamn wins. That's it. <laughs> We've got nothing else for 2024. It, you, you can't. We literally lost, and I'm going to use it one last time. We literally lost to uh, every single tier one nation this year, and we barely managed to beat the emerging nations. It can't go any lower than this, really. I mean, I think I think I've said that three or four times this year, and I've, I've been proven wrong three but, or four but times. But it can't. It can't. <laughs> like, it realistically can't. I mean, let's be honest. Fiji, uh, it's it should Fiji should be a, a tier one nation. Let's be honest. They're that good, um, and they and they and they're that deserving of it. Um, and and that even again, I, I find that again that whole idea of calling a tier two nation, like re- referring to it as tier two, is sometimes a bit respectful, a bit disrespectful of the fact that they're playing some great rugby. And this World Cup has proven it. But just it can't get any worse. <laughs> it can't. Like it, 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 there is nowhere low, there is nowhere else to go. Uh, there is but up now, surely. There's always a way, Nicholas. There's always a way. <laughs> always a way. Fool me. 48 times. How many tests? How, how, how long is this? Uh, Fool me five or six times. How long is this podcast been going? Since 2018. Fool me, for me five or six years. Yeah, shame on me again still. <laughs> it's still on me. Uh, but, yeah, it's – what a weird place to find ourselves in at the, at the end of the year. What a weird place. I mean, my one glimmer of hope is that um, with, the, with the pressure off from, okay, let's drop Eddie in. Oh, we've got a World Cup in five minutes. Um, I don't know if it was related, but I, I hope it was. Um, there, there seemed to be a lot of sort of high risk, you know, intended high reward sort of decisions like, you know, training three times a week during the World Cup, you know, n- not having a backup 10, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully with that pressure in the past, there's more time to build a more sensible, sustainable sort of thing and less of these sort of, you know, p- put it all on on red and, you know, uh, and go for gold because it's the only way we can, you know, win the thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right there. Hopefully, this means that that whatever the approach Eddie made now's the t- the chance to stop, lick our wounds, and reflect. It's probably you're probably right. Wouldn't be a bad wouldn't be a bad thing either. Well, look, it's it's a long way ahead. Um, it's we're going to take some time off to lick our wounds, um, and we'll see you in 2024. I mean, unless of course there's some sort of massive emergency news, and suddenly Nathan and I have to come out out of our time off, like. Eddie suddenly disappears and we have to deal with the fallout of the E-bomb. So, um, so pretty much see you in a month's time. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> is that what it's going to be? <laughs> so it's Australian knows. rugby, like there's going to be something that comes up. Yeah, we, we've been we've been we've been worried about fallout for a while now, and we and we've been kind of all admitted that the fallout from this whole situation is going to be very ugly and very bad. It's going to continue long after the players have, have returned, and it is continuing to happen now. So hey. We'll say it's the last podcast of the year, but considering the shit show that's, that this is, this has been, I wouldn't put it past it not being the last. I'll say that. And I'd just like to congratulate you guys setting off the South African diplomatic incident last week, and and, <laughs> and, and then then to Nathan just now for uh, upsetting all of Scotland by comparing them to Australia. <laughs> hey, we're ticking off one nation at a time. <sighs> Yeah, it's the tune in, to, tune in for 2024 to see who we piss off next. 
Well, on that bombshell, thank you very much, Nathan, again for a, a solid 2023. Yeah, while, while the results have been shocking as always, uh, you've been exemplary on the mic. And uh, and uh, it's been a joy watching you engage in shenanigans. Also, did you end up eating any escargot? I did. I did. I'll, I'll post video on that on the drop, drop kickoff. Um, six out of ten, not as bad as first thought. Um, it's all about it's all about the source of the dip. But would I go back again for it? Probably not. But it's I I didn't I didn't have food poisoning from it, so it's a it's a it's a tick. <laughs> I approve. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you tried it. And cheers, Yowie. Appreciate you coming on for a debut. Been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Th- thanks. Thanks for having me. And um, if anyone missed it, the the podcast was planning to shut down for a while before I was a guest, so I've not caused that. <laughs> And it was it was also nothing to do with any sort of any sort of comments about bananas or any sort of sort of inappropriate sexual behaviour that was discussed before the podcast went to air. Oh, we've all got our well, proclivities. That's not legal matter. <laughs> that's a, sorry. I got I got sorry. The court, like I'm sorry. The lawyers just calling me. I got I got to put it down. Um. Anyway, cheers, gentlemen. Appreciate your your efforts and thank you to all of our listeners for checking us out this year on the drops kickoff. We're going to take some time out. Have a well-end break. Enjoy the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup final. Australia, um, not Australia, God, I wish. New Zealand will be playing uh, the, the Springboks uh, at Stade de France. Before that, Argentina will be playing England for the third-place playoff. How exciting and how good is rugby union? Yeah, I think that's a really silly question. You know, rugby's a game of 15 players on the, on the field. When we're attacking, we're attacking weak defenders. We're looking for weak defenders. Why would we run at the strongest defenders? So if Martin's there and, and sorry, what's your name? Nick, and Nick's there, we're not going to run a Martin, are we? <laughs> Guys, can you just send my best wishes to Warren and make sure he enjoys the third and fourth playoff? <laughs>